just go ahead and get started. Uh, today is, does, does anybody know what today is in the church year, the church calendar? Holy Cross Day. How did you know that? Portals of Prayer. Nice. <laughs> All right. I knew it because of the Treasury of Daily Prayer, right? Uh, I, I, I knew it because of the Treasury. Uh, so, um, let me see here. Holy Cross Day. One of the earliest annual celebrations of the church, Holy Cross Day, traditionally commemorated the discovery of the original cross of Jesus on September 14, 320, in Jerusalem. The cross was found by Helena, mother of Roman Emperor Constantine the Great, in conjunction with the dedication of a basilica at the site of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The festival day was made official by order of Constantine in A.D. 335. A devout Christian, Helena, had helped locate and authenticate many sites related to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus throughout biblical lands. Holy, Holy Cross Day has remained popular in both Eastern and Western Christianity. Many Lutheran parishes have chosen to use Holy Cross as the name of their congregation. So, whether it was the real cross of Jesus that Helena found, I, I don't know. Say, I didn't authenticate that back then. Right, right, right. I mean, I, yeah, right. I don't know. Um, I'm surprised I didn't put... Put, put that part in quotes, honestly. Uh, and well, actually, you know, who knows what happened after that, too? They probably broke it up into pieces and yeah. sold them as relics somewhere to different, you know, places or whatever. I mean, that's what happened. It's like yeah. Luther Luther railed against that kind of stuff, saying, you know, it's like if, you know, you can pay so much money to go and see, like, the nails that they crucified Jesus with. I was going to say, they like say that, claim so. they have the nails and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. it's all kind of crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. supposedly Helena found the cross. I don't know how <laughs> she found it, but I mean, when your son is the emperor, you have resources. So. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So let us begin with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Merciful God, your Son Jesus Christ was was lifted high upon the cross that he might bear the sins of the world and draw all people to himself. Grant that we who glory in his death for our redemption may faithfully heed his call to bear the cross and follow him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, we are uh, in Romans chapter 7. Right? Session 12, I believe, right? Yes. Session 12, War with the Quote-Unquote Flesh. Um, So the focus of this study is that the sinful nature remains active in Christians, but cannot overthrow the victory of Christ. Okay? Um, Before we begin, this introduction is, is a bit dated. Uh, and, and yeah, it's 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 a little bit dated, um, and not in a bad way. You know, it's just uh, on Sunday. It, it there's the reference to nine eleven and whatnot, um, which I remember. I'm sure most you know some of us do. You know, do you remember? <laughs> See, and I told people this morning. I was like, there are people alive today who don't remember this, and they're and they're adults because Sunday was the twenty first anniversary of the attacks. So there are 18 year olds who are just like, I don't know, I don't know what that is. You know, just, My grandson. Whatever. 21 year olds. What are you talking about? Twin Towers? What's that all about? Yeah. Yeah. What? They have no idea. Never forget. Anyways, so yeah, yeah I mean, that's one of the things 
you do easily forget these things. And sadly, I, I, I didn't say anything. I, sh- I felt like I should have said at least something, you know, um, on Sunday. In fact, was it? Um, I had somebody come up to me and say, today's 9-11, by the way. So mm-hmm. pray for those families that are affected by that. And I was like, you're absolutely right. You should pray for those families because they're still suffering from this stuff. Um, the you horrible still have attacks. families who are affected by that. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you lost how many people? So yeah. how can that not ripple through mm-hmm. generations? Um, I so I remember that, but the thing that got me, of course, when you're younger, I guess things affect you, but the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Made a little, oh, right. Made a little on edge. And we just look back on that as like, that's something in a textbook now. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I'll just say that before before we begin today, this it's 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 a little bit dated. It's amazing to think that that was twenty one years ago. Um, yeah, crazy. Uh, and like you don't see anything on the news about it. Yeah, I didn't. Amazing. I didn't. I didn't think that there. I I, I haven't seen anything about. I saw stuff last year. This was the twentieth anniversary. Yeah. But a year later, it was just like. Eh. How easily we forget. I saw yeah. one Instagram post. So oh, I saw a bunch of. Bunch you still of... remember Pearl Harbor Day, right? Right. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. They talk about that more than they did on eleven. Yeah. 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 So as I say that, and as we talk about that for just a second there, uh, who wants to begin with the first few little paragraphs here before this first question in our session? I'll go for it. Okay. After the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in 2001, President George W. Bush urged Americans to remain steadfast in their resolve. He warned that the approaching war would not be an easy one. It would require constant commitment. In a similar way, Paul warns us in Romans 7 about the ongoing struggle against the sinful nature. He makes it clear from personal experience that sin is still present in a Christian and is the cause of a serious ongoing war in each of us. The law is not responsible for this struggle. The sin that rebels against the law is at the heart of this war. 7, 8 through 12. Romans 6 and 7 must always be taught in light of each other. Our death to sin and rising to life in Christ are real, but so is our sinful nature that continues to exist in us. Even though sin no longer dominates us as it did before, it harnesses us like a bitter terrorist working in the shadows. It harasses us. Right? Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, this was published in 2002, so this might have had more gravitas back then, but, I mean, substitute terrorist for something else now, you know. Um, so, uh, but, I mean, terrorism is still a real threat. Don't get me wrong. Um, so... Anyways, it's just I, I wonder how well this will age the further along we go and someone gets this study like 10, 10 years from now and she'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so St. Paul asks in chapter 7, verse 1, Do you not know that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? What is the answer? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, don't you know these things? It's the same thing we talked about last week with yeah. baptism, you know, don't you know, and, and I know that's not how most people would ask that question, but don't you know that 
those who are baptized into um, Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. So don't you know these things? The answer is yes, because I, I mean, when in, in civil legal matters, someone dies, can you sue them? Like, can you sue them? If someone you dies, can you sue them? Get you can try. I mean, you can try. sue like their estate. You can yeah. sue their relatives, but yeah, that person's gone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, or if you have a contract with somebody, it's like you go to you you go take out a loan, a mortgage. You know, you owe someone money or something like that. You sign a contract on the dotted line, and then you die. That contract is now null and void. You're dead. I mean, there's there's no coming back from that, right? Actually, that sin gets passed on to somebody else. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's a good. Luck. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have you have someone co-signing or whatever. You I know. still paid medical bills for my mother and brother and dad after they died. So right, but they're not paying them. No. Right. No. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They're not. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Really it gets passed that. on to somebody else. But the problem. But the the point is that, and again, all and all analogies fall apart in a certain. Uh, at a certain point. So um, you can't really sue a dead man. You can sue somebody else that represents him or, you know, is, is connected to him. But when he's gone you're and you want to exact some sort of justice from the guy, him in any way. he's gone. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. It's like, sue away. I don't mm-hmm. care anymore. Yeah. I mean, so that is to say that um, the Christian's new status before the law begins with the death of baptism, Right. So that is like saying, uh, if, if Satan comes to you accusing you for all the sins that you've committed, you can say, what are you talking about? I'm dead. <laughs> I'm, you're talking to a dead man. Uh, are you crazy? You know, it's like, and yes, the devil is crazy. He's, he's, uh, he's very desperate and he'll try all kinds of things. And if he can convince you that he has something on you, I mean, that's what he does. But I mean, the simple answer is what Luther said. I think I think Luther the, Luther had this dream, at least from what I can can recall. He had a dream one time that he relayed about how he was in this kind of courtroom setting, and or just and Satan was reading off all the sins that he'd committed his entire life, and and after after Satan got done with the list, Luther just looked at him and he said, "I I don't." what do you expect from me? I, those sins are no longer mine. Go talk to him. And he points to Christ that he took them. They're his sins now. Go deal with him. Right? And that's what we should do whenever we feel that the, the temptation to despair or, or, you know, fall into the trap of Satan that says that we owe him something or we have some debt to pay in terms of our own sins instead of just saying, uh, Instead of just saying, you know, Christ took that. He's got it now. He he bought my sin. Mm-hmm. I don't own it anymore. Go talk to him. See what he has to tell you. Probably going to tell you to pan, pound sand. You know? Um, so it's like there's assurance there for us. There's comfort there for us. That our new status in this new life begins with our death in baptism. Okay? Any thoughts about that? Questions? No. Yeah, I had a question. Sure. The law is no authority over man as long as he lives. Will there be any laws in heaven? You know, or or in the new creation, you know, on after the last day, 
What do y'all think about that? Do you think there'll be any laws? You will still be under God's law and will, but you no longer have the sin anymore because you've been redeemed. So you'll like delight in it and you won't have you the won't opportunity have the for the sin to come in, yeah. I guess. I mean, the law of God is good and perfect, right? Uh, I mean, I want, I, I don't know. I'll just say that right now. I don't know. I don't know if anybody can tell you a, a for sure answer to that. And if they can, um, I don't know. They're probably well, trying to thinking, uh, tell you something. But I was yeah. thinking, yeah, I hope not because then I'll have to deal with any lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's you probably going to happen? <laughs> you know what's probably going to happen is that you're, everyone's going to know the law. Because it's God's will, and His will is perfect and good. But they're going to say, uh, but then I, I think, I think it's going to be just one law, like it was in the beginning. You know, um, that yeah, that's what I was thinking. It'd be like before. Don't eat from that tree. That. Yeah, or or just like you know, yeah. maybe one law. Maybe, well, really, I think I think the one law that you ever really need is probably going to be the one law in in eternity which is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And for us, that will be easy because we won't have sin. I don't think there'll be temptation there. There won't be because there won't be any sin. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. So we'll just kind of say, isn't that nice that we can do this and not have to worry about whether or not we can or should or whatever. None of that is in question anymore. It's just... We will, and it'll be glorious and wonderful and blissful. It'll be great. So I think, I think, yeah, there will because I think there will be a law, but I think it'll be more akin to something like that. Again, no one can tell you for sure. I don't think, but I think that um, elsewhere in Scripture it says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Right, the law always points to love. You know. And that's, that's, that's how you can trick people easily. And when you say, what does it sound like? Law or gospel? You know, you shall love the Lord your God. Or love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound like law or gospel? And most people say, well, it sounds like gospel to me. You know, it's like, well, it's really law. It's telling you what to do, mm -hmm. right? Love, though, I mean, but that shows you all the more that the law is good. You know? The law is not the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it is a guide. It is, yeah, it is. And so in the in uh in the resurrection, I'll just say that, in the resurrection, you'll probably only have you'll only have the law as a guide. There's no need for a curve anymore. There's no need for a mirror, because there won't be any sin. You only have it as a guide and it'll just be a glorious thing because sin is gone. And Forever and ever we'll be singing thanks and praise uh, and glory and worship and honor to God forever and ever before the throne. As Revelation says, it's going to be awesome. Um, so anyways, yeah, good question though. I like that. So did, did Satan or Adam and Eve commit the first sin? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> well, I'll just say that... Because um, there was no sin before the fall but there was still the possibility of sin. So I think that that's not a good analogy for the new world. What's that? Oh, yeah. Like you can't sin just because there is no sin. Well, I'm trying to think here. There's, there's, there's just this thought in, in eschatology, uh, the study of the end times, that, that the end times will be like the beginning times. 
it's not going to be a one-to-one. -one. Um, it'll be better because there will no longer be that possibility of the devil corruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there will not be that possibility of corruption. And then, but then you have to be careful with all this because then you get into the whole questions of, well, why did God set it up that way in the first place? And then you go, well, let's go read the book of Job and see what God says to his questions on these things, which is basically, who are you to tell me what I'm to do with my own creation? So, which is a harsh response, but I mean, it's, it's true. There are only so many things that God will reveal to us of why. And, but yeah, I mean, does that help answer your question a little bit or no? It would got to the point that I was getting. Good, yeah. yeah. It's not a one to one. No, right. they're similar, but uh, in the end, versus the beginning, it will be better because there won't be that possibility, yeah, of corruption anymore. Every tear will be wiped away from every eye. It'll be great. Um, any other thoughts on that? This is this is good stuff. Good, good, good comments and questions. Wanna move on? Mm -hmm. Okay. Chewing on that though. Man, yeah. uh -huh. What's that? Chewing on that one. Well, because it yeah, it really doesn't give you. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna. It doesn't give you should, what? We should move on. It, okay. Let me. If you're worried about the issue of will, maybe right, like your free will or whatever. No, she was saying like, did Satan commit the first sin, or uh, did Adam and Eve commit the first sin? But it doesn't um, really give you when or if Satan right. committed yeah, the well, first. That, that but he had to have. He had Satan to have had because, to have because then he offered he was it to them. The one inviting sin in. In. Well, I'm assuming that God gave Satan the law. Well, so there's a lot of empty, there's there's a lot of gaps in the understanding of the story of creation that are not filled in for us. Mm -hmm. And so we could spend all, all day long, all night, you know, the rest of our the rest of our lives pondering these things. Yeah, because you could say like it was, I don't know how old Adam was when they, uh, when yeah. they had when he had Cain. You don't even know how old Adam was when they first when sinned. They sin. Yeah, like, was you it like two days, days after he? Yeah. You have no idea. Well, yeah. Don't yeah, you don't really know. If Satan fell before or after Adam was created, either. Yeah, you have no idea when Satan became Satan. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of speculation that goes into this. I mean, of course, there's the popular um, Paradise Lost by John Milton and, and, you know, the epic poem of what it was when, you know, the rationale behind Satan wanting to rebel and all this stuff like that. It's, it's a nice... It's a nice, um, yeah, speculation and theory on what happened and everything like that. But, um, I mean, at some point you just have to say, I don't know. Maybe God will tell me later uh, when I when I die. And, when or when he, and then it yeah. won't matter. Yeah. It'll, it'll just be kind of be like, you know, so what happened with that? Oh, cool. Let's get back to work. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No big deal. I mean, seriously. Well, it, well, then it'll give you all the more reason to give glory to God for what he has done. So everything, any kind of explanation that might come after we die or after we are in the resurrection, you know, after Christ comes back, it'll all just be more reason to say, well, glory be to God. That's awesome. You know, good, good, good. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. He always does. 
it's yeah. kind of funny. Um, all right, so uh, next question. Is the law sin? As we see in chapter 7, verse 7 of Romans, is the law sin? What's the answer? No, it is not. No, no certainly not, right? God's law... What does he say? Seven. Whoops, I don't know. I don't so know. we have the law to keep us from sin. And righteous and good. It tells us what sin is. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Um, so God's law is holy and should lead to holiness, but what's the problem? Yeah, our sinful human nature constantly rebels against the law. Um, The law is always good and right, um, and and we're the problem. Um, Any thoughts on that? It's all pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. So makes it pretty clear. Yeah. And that's Paul's entire goal here, right? He wants to teach a clear doctrine so that there's no wiggle room in, in uh, uh, speculation on things like this, right? Where it's like, what's the cause of rebellion? It's not the law, it's sin itself, right? Um, so, okay. Um, this chapter is considered to be one of the most difficult in Romans, largely because of questions surrounding the identity and situation of the first person or the I references, right? See, um, I didn't think so. I, like, think I so. totally yeah. disagree with that. <laughs> okay. Like, what other possible... I'll get into it. I'll get into it. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what it is, okay? So, okay, let's just finish reading this a little bit here. So, although there are several possible reference for the quote-unquote I of this chapter... The best solution is to understand I as Paul's reference to himself as a Christian. Note the present tense verbs. Paul speaks for every Christian struggle against the sinful nature and sanctification when he writes, For what I do is not what I desire, but the evil that I do not desire, this I do. In verse 19. So, why do some people have a problem with this? Maybe what you're asking, like, why is this a hard chapter? It's pretty clear. Sadly, people have a problem, or sadly, people have, they wrestle with this a lot because they come in with preconceptions of what they understand to be sin and the sinful nature and things like that. Um, I will just say, and, and, and uh, yeah, I'll just say that those of more of the Baptist kind of theology, they will... They have a different understanding about free will and about, uh, you know, uh, about, about free will and about what makes you sinful, uh, which brings into question what is original sin and all these things like that, right? They, they have an ontological, as we would say, problem with, with, with sin. They don't really understand where it comes from or what it is, how it is that we wrestle with it on a daily basis. Um, because they'll look at this and they'll say, well, I've always learned, and, and of course this is not every Baptist, so I just want to make that very clear. There are some who think this and some who may not even give it a second thought, like say, yeah, I agree with Paul. But there are some who may say, um, 
when Paul says this, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I, what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, so on and so forth, you know. They're saying, this is Paul pre-conversion. <laughs> that's what they well that's 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 what that's they'll say. How can they say that? I don't think so. Well, how can they say that is because that's that's how they will better understand uh the the Christian life. Uh because typically what happens with um those of the more Baptist persuasion is that they will uh they will typically only preach the gospel to those people that they know are not Christians. Because they know the gospel is the only thing that's, that's going to bring them to faith, so they'll preach it. And they'll preach it very sweetly and wonderfully. But as soon as somebody becomes a Christian, now it's time to get to work, do the law. Why do you think there are so many Baptist pastors out there who only teach practically? It doesn't stem from the understanding of saying, you know, now that you are a new creation in Christ, go and be that new creation as God has made you to be. Instead, it's just they, they simply just say, well, the law says this and the law says that they have they are inherently legalistic. They even do it to the sacraments. Right. They call them the ordinances and these things you must do to keep the law. Now that you are a Christian, Christ died for you. Now pick up the slack. Right. So when you put it in those terms, if they look at someone like Paul and they say, he seems to be really struggling with this, but I thought that only happened to people that didn't have Christ in their lives. I thought that once you made a good testimony or turned your life around, made that decision for Jesus, everything was just supposed to get better. Because you did it for God because God needed you to do it. Right, so it's this whole thing again of this misunderstanding of who's doing the work, right? So do, do the doctrine of election is 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 uh, skewed in their minds. Yeah. Do they not see Paul as a Christian? They do, but they that's how they'll rationalize it. Is that typically they'll say Paul is telling us what he used to go through. He's referencing himself uh, in a okay. past or tense, he's but he's not, and he's that's not. the thing. He's, no, not, he's not doing that. <laughs> And that's the thing. You don't need to have Greek understand. You don't need to have Greek to go to someone about this and just simply say, Paul simply says present tense. If then I do, you know, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Right. And he doesn't say this. None of this is in the past tense. Well, yeah, right. Nothing is past tense in this passage. And it's so easy, but it's really sad that, that, that they need to so twist scripture and, and of course somebody might say pastor you're creating a straw man here to 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 attack or whatever but it's like well there are people out there and, and that i've heard say that about this passage right again it's not everybody it's not it's it's not all baptists of that persuasion it's not necessarily that but it's like it this is just part of the problem is to take something so clear and twist it because you have a fundamentally erroneous understanding of free will and salvation. What's that? Isn't that the devil at work? Absolutely. Yes. Well, yeah. Trying to make you question the word of God right there. Absolutely. Did God really say? Jesus did it to Peter. What's that? I mean, he 
blessed him, and then right after that, oh, yeah. like, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That as soon as as soon as Peter said, yeah, as soon as Peter said, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Blessed are you, Simon yeah, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not really revealed this to you, but. You know, and then he's like, for I call you Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And from that point on, he started talking about how he must be delivered and crucified. Far be it from you, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. You obviously don't know what's going on here, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Far, far be it from you, Lord. It's like, did you not just hear what I said? Did you not just hear the words from your own mouth about who I am? And, oh, it's just, yeah. But that's what we do. Uh, that's, that's, that's a temptation to take scripture and bend it to our own preconceived uh, understanding of things uh, instead of being formed by God's word. We, sh we oftentimes have the temptation to form God's word to fit our will as opposed to God's word changing our own will to his. They're really just shooting themselves in the foot, though. Because right. if they say, oh, now I'm a Christian, but then they're tempted to sin... They're going to be like, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. That's exactly yeah. what happens. Wow. And yeah. it's their own fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't happen with everybody, but it does happen where you get people saying, do I need to get baptized again? Yeah. Was that the right thing to do? You know, or did I get baptized in the right way? Yeah. Because if it's all law, you never have assurance. You never have assurance that you've done it the exact right way it should be done because there's always room in your conscience for doubt and Satan loves to pick at that. And like Luther says, it's like, or, or like other people might say in some other way, like Luther says, it's like, it's like patching up holes in a tent to keep the snakes out because once the snake's head gets in, the whole body just follows right through, you know? If you have all these holes, there's all these places where Satan can come in and cause doubt. So you, that's, that's, that's why it's important to have pure doctrine, a right understanding, and just simply trusting God's word and what it just says, what it says, right? So yeah, they shoot themselves in their own foot. It's really sad to see um, because there are tons of people out there who wind up falling away because they were told that this is Christianity. And then when they find out that they can't live up to that, there's nothing but despair. If they're really honest with themselves. On this yeah, when you said they're doing the, they're viewing their Christianity having to apply the practical way. Mm -hmm. There was a church in New Braunfels on Green Road. It was called the, uh, it was called like the Church of Practical Christianity. That's fun. That's funny that you said that. So that made I me, boom, I was like, wow, yeah. yeah. Right there on Green Road over the railroad track. Mm -hmm. Is it still there? I don't really think so. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think it's still a church, church there. there anymore. Must not have been very practical. It was a small, <laughs> uh, small hate church. to make jokes about these things, but it's just like mm -hmm. I, there is a practicality to Christianity, no doubt about it. I mean, we as Lutherans even say as much within our confessions that we do not abolish the law. We we say that good fruits follow in faith. But when it's, and, and this is, this is another thing, and I'll just, I'll say this really quick, I promise, and then we'll move on, that a lot of pastors and a lot of lay people, even in the Missouri Synod, get really bogged down in practicality. And they get so bogged down in practicality, they'll say, I've hurt, I, 
a guy I went to seminary with said this. I won't say who, but he said as much to say, if you're, if, if you're all into this theology stuff, you're missing the practical things where people are at. And the sad thing about that is, is that the best kind of theology is practical, right? Your, the richest understanding of baptism is practical, inherently. You don't have to extract that from it and just say, I'm only going to focus on the practical part. And this is all just kind of theoretical mumbo jumbo baptism stuff. It's all combined together. So when you make this false dichotomy saying that it's either practical or abstract thinking or whatever, it's like, no, the best theology, in fact, straight from God's word is always practical, but it is always theologically sound and it is always doctrinally pure and it always provides assurance and comfort when you understand it as God says it. So people who want to just abstract practicalities all day long and just say, I'm only interested in how to do, do things practically. Just like, well, so am I. That's why I baptize people and teach them. Cause that's what Jesus said to do, you know, according to his will and grace. So yeah, anyways, I, it just bothers me. Sorry. There's just so many people out there worried about like, what can I do? What can I do? It's like, how about you just be faithful and do what's been given you to do in our heritage and faith and just let God do the growth, right? Mm -hmm. You you plant, you water, but God has counted the growth. Go to church worship, go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Live the Christian life, right? Yeah. Be be a good Christian in your vocation. That's why we capitalize that as on that as Lutherans. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know that I attend Bible class with yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's basically Baptist. And uh, I was just think, sitting here thinking, what? I've never heard them teach anything or to talk, say anything about Romans seven. I, and I'm a sinner, but they're all get, get uh, Satan, Satan, get rid of Satan, leave oh, yeah. him out, and Holy Spirit, come to me, and okay. so I can fight. Satan. Yeah, that, that attitude, mm -hmm. and uh, I haven't heard—I can't remember ever hearing any of them say, "I'm a sinner, and I should. I do these things, and I know what I should do, but I don't do them." And I constantly think them and the problem is them internal, and not external. Mm -hmm. So they don't believe in original sin, then, right? Basically, not like, practically. No, mm -hmm. not practically. Um, they, they know it's early uh, in life, but I, I haven't heard anybody talking about it being born. I was conceived in sin. Right. And conceived my mother. Right. It, right. It's because, well, sadly, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're living in a time, and maybe we've always lived in this time, I don't know. We, we're living in a time of biblical illiteracy. You know, we, we don't know our Psalms. We don't know, um, we don't know the Proverbs. We don't know, you know, we what Christ really says. It. What's that? Huh? It has to be something that I can understand. Right. So it's, it, as, it's as, God's yeah. word, yes, but I should understand it. <laughs> and, and, and then again, what did God tell Job about his own sufferings? Mm -hmm. I should understand why I'm suffering. No, not necessarily. Um, that's something that's not necessarily for you to know and or understand, but simply to trust. 
right? Mm-hmm. Simply to trust. God gives us enough. He gives us enough to understand and, and ponder and wonder about. But everything else is like, Bob, I guess I don't really need to be worried about it. Yeah. Just have faith and trust in yeah. it till the end, and then it will all be revealed no. to you. And pray that God would give it. you what you need, and you know, and maybe even things you want that are good for you. So, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, that here, I'll, I'll just move on here because we need to keep, keep going. But maybe I'll get into what I would have liked to have said after we get into this question. Where Paul asks in verse 13 of chapter 7, Did that which is good become death to me? What's the answer? That which is good, that is the law, did that become death to me? No, you still keep the law. You still know it. Yeah, no, certainly not. No, you just, just because you become a Christian, you're like, well, I don't need that anymore. No, well, no, I think I, still need it. I think I think what he's trying to point out here is that um, he's he's still defending that God's law is good, and its purpose is is a wholesome one within our life yeah. still. But the thing is, is that um, he says, but sin, he says, God's was, law didn't cause me to sin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and did it did it become death to me? It's it's good, but is that what? Is that, is that what becomes death for me? But it's sin that does this, right? Mm-hmm. He's still blaming sin. He says, certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all about diagnosis here, right? It's about the law diagnosing our sin. Um and there are good diagnostics to be had, and what we use typically are the Ten Commandments, right? And and that's that that's why in our congregation at prayer we have for the memory memory work for this month, it's talking about the chief part of the catechism on confession. And when you confess only those sins which you know and feel in your heart to your pastor. It asks, which sins are these? And it says, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? I mean, and you can go on from there, but those are just like some good places to start. And um, with the Sons of Solomon, I've, I've encouraged y'all in your... Um, treasuries to look in the back of your treasury on the um, uh, the confessional mirror of like going through the commandments and actually actually asking yourself these questions based off of the Ten Commandments of do you have any idols? Do you covet? Do you commit adultery in your heart? Do you whatever, you know? Yeah. Whenever I'm trying to do that, I can't get past the first commandment. <laughs> no, you can't. No, of course not. Here, I'm trying to run my own life. There's only one God. And I, it always comes back. He's pointing at me. You're trying to do it yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're not giving me the glory and honor that I should have. Right. Not God. Yeah. yeah. So I have, can't keep that first commandment. And I yeah. will get stuck there. <laughs> the rest of them, I can't do it. Well, yeah. I mean, if you, and, and, and if that's, if, if that's the case, you just go, okay, 
No, moving yeah. on. Next one? Just go on down the list, but do it so that you can uh, better understand uh, God's law and who you are uh, in, you know, in light of it. Uh, because, um, what is it? It's, it's, it's a diagnostic tool to shine a light in the dark places you don't want to go to, right? That you'd like to cover up so that your conscience doesn't feel so guilty. So the law is there to shine a light and say, that's something that needs to be taken care of. You know, that's something that needs to be absolved. And you need to go talk to your pastor about that. And, you know, it, otherwise, this is just going to eat at you and eat at you and eat at you. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things where it's really kind of funny because there are people who don't like going to the doctor, the dentist, whatever, uh, because they fear a diagnosis, right? Um, sadly, and, and my, I, I'll just say, my wife is one of those people. She doesn't really like the doctor. She doesn't really like me going to the doctor because she's worried something bad's going to happen, you know? <laughs> um, and that's not out of the question of a possibility, of course, but she gets that from her mom and from her mom's side of the family. They're, they're scared of doctors. Um, it's just something that was kind of like passed down in their family as far as their behavior. Um, and, it, and, and really, it's really sad because um, uh, her aunt, uh, when I first met Amelia, her aunt was already diagnosed with cancer and dying. She was already given so many. Because she waited too long. Well, I, because she didn't go to her regular checkups, she mm -hmm. didn't she didn't go to the doctor's appointments that would have maybe caught this. But she also had a really bad experience when she was young with a doctor, like really really bad experience that just really turned her off to going to the doctor at all for these things. But still, I mean, she she could have caught this. It maybe could have been treated, maybe could have been handled, but we'll never know. Um, which is just a really, really sad thing. And it's likewise sad when people will look at the law and they'll do the same thing and they'll say, well, the law just makes me feel really bad. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to hear the law stuff. I want to hear the gospel. Give me the gospel. Give me the gospel. Mm -hmm. And you just go, well, I, what, is, what does the gospel mean without the law? Yeah. I mean, really, can you tell me what is... What is what does the gospel mean that Jesus has died for your sins if you don't know that you're a sinner? Why is it making you feel so bad? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be told that what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, yeah. nobody so wants to just... be corrected. Right. Yeah. What about the law makes you feel bad? And well, but and that's that's something that 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 I think a lot of uh, it's it's sadly in a lot of ways it's it it is a culture within the Missouri Synod even. That will, and, and, and I think it's kind of phasing out now, where um, there will be some people and even pastors who may say that I want to emphasize the gospel. I've, I've heard pastors say, I'm not a law guy, I'm a gospel guy. And I'm just like, I'm a word of God guy. I don't really, I mean, I'm kind of both, man. We're, we're Lutherans, we talk about law and gospel, man. It's just like, I don't even know what to do with that when guys say that to me, or if they are to say that to me, I'm just like, I don't really know what to do with that. Um, because God's law is good. And if you think of it back in the, in, in the, um, realm of the doctor, 
if you've got cancer, but you're scared of a diagnosis of cancer, it doesn't change the fact that you have cancer. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're still sick, mm-hmm. right? So just, just, just because you don't like to have the diagnostic of the law tell you exactly in what way you're falling short doesn't mean that you're not falling short in that way, right? Um, the diagnosis doesn't kill you, the disease does. That's right. Yeah, the diagnosis actually has the possibility to save your life. And if you're scared, I mean, the, to me, it's like you're already assuming something wrong. They're just going to confirm it. Yeah, mm-hmm. if if there is something to confirm. Yeah, that's what right. I'm saying. But yeah. if you weren't you are, if you yeah. weren't sick and scared to go to the doctor, you're like something's wrong with me. Well, you already know something's wrong with me. They're just going to confirm what it is and and maybe clarify what it is and be able to give you the right and treatment. Give you the right treatment, yeah. right? Because yeah. let's just say let's say it's something like you know, man, my my um, you could say something like my foot my foot is killing me, man, like. My ankle, it's just, it's swollen. Yeah, twisted it. And so you go, so I'm just going to stay off of it. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I probably, I probably twisted or I broke it or something. And then later on you find out it's like, no, you have a blood clot. Yeah. It's a different issue and you're not treating it the way you should. Mm-hmm. You're only, right? you, you know that there's something wrong. Yeah. They're just going to explain to you what it is. Yeah. And you be know, able to you. actually address it and deal with it in the in way that it should way. so that it's no longer a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the point. Diagnostics are there so you can find a solution. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah. So people will do that, and um, it's it's just one of those things where uh, it's just really sad to see when people will just simply say, "Well, I don't really want to focus on the law." And you're just like, well, then you had then then how do you live why a Christian life? Go- why do you need the gospel if there's no law? Well, there's that, but there's also how do you live a Christian life? Yeah. If you're if you're so worried about legalism, fine. Be be wary of legalism because legalism says you do things to earn salvation. If you're already concerned about that, then you have a better chance of actually understanding the law for what it is and that it's now your guide as a Christian, right? You should live a holy life according to it. So I'll just leave that alone for there. Unless anybody else wants to ask a question or make a comment. No, pretty pretty straightforward there. Okay. Um, I did have a comment I want to make. Yeah. So we got the Ten Commandments from Moses. I mean, during that time, people were sinning before we had the Ten Commandments, so they were already sinning. Yeah. He just put them down and said, "Here's here. This covers the realm." To try to not sin so much, here's a list of the things that you need to do. So, I mean, yeah. people were already sinning. Yeah, they were already doing we all these things. The before we had the law. And these just made and them they knew it, clear. And they knew what was right and they knew what was wrong. Right. Even before we had the list from God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul says as much in Romans 1, right? Uh, that it will be just the law is from the law. And yeah. Well, the law is written on our hearts. And he didn't say, okay, right. now that I've given you these Ten Commandments, if you can keep them all, you're going to get into heaven. That's not the way it works. And he didn't really say that either. I mean, That's he what did, I'm saying. He yeah, didn't say that. He did say, you know, do this and you will live. But yeah. it's like, no. he under, like he's, he's, he's like, really, you should understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Let the reader understand, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, 
it's one of those things where you're still relying on God's grace. He's still expecting us to behave ourselves. That's yeah, pointing to the Savior can't. that's going to fulfill it for you. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And there will be forgiveness. Yes. And there was forgiveness in the Old Testament, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Before yeah. and after. Like, there was daily sacrifices in the temple, mm-hmm. in the tabernacle, for the sins of the people. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so, good point. Um, moving on here. Who will rescue me, this Paul, from this body of death? Chapter 7, verse 24. What's the answer? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. Who will, who, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one that does it. Um, so in this struggle against sin, Christ alone can win the victory. Right? Uh, although baptism transforms the Christian into a new man who loves God and respects the law, one still fully depends on Christ for salvation and sanctification, right? Um, you know, you don't just get Jesus one time and then you can... Uh, Free pass. Well, it's it's just like you're, you're always depending on Christ. Um, and but as but as the Roman Catholics like they they love Jesus but they they, they really love Mary you know they really love Mary and they really love you know their other you know canonized saints and things like that that they believe are going to grant them some merit or they're they're going to pray for them if they ask them to and things like that and so it's it's one of these things that like sadly that de-emphasizes it's really sad because you see a lot of, of a lot of Roman Catholics, they are uh, they are convicted in their faith and they live it out the best they can. Sadly, it's a legalistic faith, you know. It's a, it's a legalistic practice, um, but it's really sad because their their devotion, their devout life, is not really all that geared toward Christ. Because anytime you have the cult of the saints. That is stealing glory from God, right? It is diverting the thanks and praise from where it should be, which is really, really sad. It de-emphasizes just how much you really need to rely on Christ for everyday holiness. I mean, our, our morning and evening prayers say as much, right? I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, right? But it begins with, thanks to God the Father, through your dear Son, Jesus Christ. He is always the one who saves us. He is always the one who redeems us. And that's every single day. It's not a one and done. It's a one and then every single day, every single time, every single time of repentance, right? Any thoughts on that? Questions? Uh, I had an experience one time at a county, at the county fair, Colonel County Fair. Okay. Me and my girlfriend at the time were walking around the exhibits, and I guess there was a church there that had a booth that was doing something, and they were just walking up to people and asking them questions. And they came up to me and asked me if I was a Christian. I said yes. And he said something to the to the extent of. So, 
increases. You're still saved even if you said, like, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then, like, six months down the road, you, like, totally deny Christ, and you're like, no, I'm, this is all fake. Um, I'm still saved. Huh? Oh! What? Like, once you invited Christ in that first time, like... You can never fall away. Oh, oh man, not one of those. That's funny. That's 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 weird. I got a weird feeling when he even said that. Like, that's really like, weird. I was like, I'm pretty sure you can deny God and that's unforgivable. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Damn, it's even bad when you've said it and then you fall away from it. Yeah. Which was the point he was getting to. Also, I don't know. How does that make sense? I don't know. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's. That's a complete misunderstanding. A complete misunderstanding of the doctrine of election. Um, so, which is a mystery, right? Uh, we'll get into that in Romans here, but um, yeah, the doctrine of election is um, it's it's a comfort to Christians. Uh, it should never be a prerequisite for understanding, you know, who's saved and who's not saved. That's what the Calvinists do, um, but. That's weird. That's just weird. So he, how is that evangelism? That's 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 what I want to know. How is that evangelism? It's like, are you a Christian? Yeah, great man. Did you know the cool fact that if you say Jesus Christ is Lord right now, but six months later you say no, and then you die, you're still okay? You'd be like, well, then what are you doing here? Yeah. What does any of this matter then? Are you kidding me? Like, so basically, it's a joke. Sounds like those tent revival people. They wanted people to come to the altar call, yeah. but then they never came back and you know checked up on how they were doing in their faith. It, it wasn't about the long term. It was just about like the oh look how many people I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a short term mindset on salvation when we should have an eternal mindset as the church. Um, yeah, it's, and who knows what other kind of motivations are there too? You know. Um, with the people going up for the altar call and all that stuff. So. I was texting a girlfriend today and she was, I said, hey, so when are you playing? We were talking and I said, well, so what's going on this week? She said, I have a busy weekend. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm doing this Saturday night and I'm, or Friday night and I'm doing this Saturday night and I'm having a Bible study on, when, on Sunday. And, and I thought, oh, okay. I said, a Bible study? Where are you doing a Bible study at? And she goes, oh, this lady came by my house. <laughs> what did she say? It's like Jehovah's Witness. Oh, and I thought, oh, Jean, you are letting them in your house? And I thought, <laughs> That's oh. funny. She, she said, I just can't say no. And I'm like, yes, you can. Sometimes you, you can say when no. We visited, we were walking down the street. Uh, on Main Street, and there's like a hair Christmas. salon or something like that that has an active person outside. Oh, that was taking me out. And yeah. she got Jean. I had left. Boom. She was like, I couldn't say no. And then she ended up buying like $300 worth of stuff she didn't need. She bought over $400. (laughs) She's at the counter paying over $400. I'm like, Jean, Jean. our card wouldn't go through. I said, Jean, let's go. Let's just walk out. Well, my card's not working. I said, that's a clue. Let's go. Come on. And she pulls out another card. And I'm like, but when she tells me, yeah, she's this woman came to my house and 
And I said, a woman, she goes, yeah, she was Jehovah's Witness. I just can't say no. I'm like, don't let them in your house. Oh, that's, say that's, no like your salvation. That can be God. dangerous. Well, if she can't say no, then invite her to church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got Bible study here. Hey, Gene, you want to come to Bible study on Wednesday nights at 7? You just can't say no, can you? Uh, take advantage of that, India. Come on, come on. Okay. Well, that's a sh that's that's yeah. Those are those JWs. They're interesting. They are heavy duty over in the brothels. Oh really? There's a lot. I've of met a few here, and they knock on doors. And yeah, I had them at my door several times. I had several of their children in my class. Yeah. And I had I had one child. I had two two different kids in one class one year. And one of the little boys was, um, what did he do? Put his hand on his heart during the pledge or something. And, and one of the other, he was a real high priest or whatever you would call it in the church. His, other, his child was in the class. And that other child told dad, and he comes to the class and telling me he is not supposed to be doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. because of allegiance and all that stuff like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I said, no, I didn't force him to do that. You know, he just did it on his own. This isn't even his kid. It's yeah. another kid from the other kid, but that yeah. kid tattled on him, yeah. you know, and I was like, they're yeah. really big over there. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, they're out in force. They I've, were on the corner Sat Saturday, Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, they were on the corner in front of the Lukenbach store. Oh. The big sign, JW, and they're standing out there trying to recruit people. You know, it's a bad place to do it. <laughs> They've been out there before. I'm sorry, but I saw bad. them in front of the Lucan box store. And I'm like, yeah. are they the ones that uh, you'll see the uh, teenage boys in the, the black and white, white shirts? shirts with no, the those are Mormons. Those oh, those are Mormons. Are different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. we can we can we can do a whole study on on the differences between Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Whatever other kind of faiths there are out there, uh, they're not Christian. So, yeah, J Dubs and um, uh, Mormons are not Christian. Um, and it's just really kind of strange. Uh, anyways, and it, it's really funny. Why? Why would I always wonder this? And I know it's a bit of a joke, but why would they want to evangelize if they only believe there's there's going to be literally one hundred forty four thousand in heaven? Oh, I've had them come. To I think I'd just be quiet about it. They said they like, asked me. Shh, shh, shh. Don't, don't, yeah. don't tell anybody. <laughs> I want to get in there, man. Yeah. I've literally asked me, "Are you one of the one hundred forty-four thousand? What they say? I've had them ask me that. Are you yeah. one of the hundred? Yeah. <laughs> Are you one of the one hundred thousand? What about you? How do you know that? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Get behind me, Satan. You know. That's when you need the emergency light. I don't have time. I've Luther got pamphlet. people coming yeah, to right. my house. Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming. Get behind me, Satan, for there's, your mind is not on set on is 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 not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, you just have to say thanks, but no thanks. Bye. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not interested in your devilry. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's in Proverbs. Don't argue with a fool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you can have conversations mm -hmm. with someone you know is gonna listen, but when you know they're not going to, yeah. you're just you're spinning your wheels, and mm -hmm. 
maybe you can engage them later, but at the time it's like, you just got to know when to cut the cord. Like, I'm out. I can't, I can't, you know, you're not even listening. You don't even care. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. When Pastor McCall was here, um, they came to his house. He was here at church, but they came to his oh, house. Yeah, I remember that story. And Alicia got so excited. She's like, just give me five seconds. I'll get my husband here. He talked to you. And they were like, oh, no, actually, we're going to keep on walking. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. They so when they show up at the pastor's house, they left the poor pastor to get Yeah. She was so excited about that possibility. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I've had, oh, man. Yeah. I've had, I've had run-ins <laughs> with Mormons and I've, I've, I've had those, those are fun conversations. Uh. I had some come to our house when we were moving, uh, uh Papa's house. Mm-hmm. Three of them came to the door and oh, wanted yeah. to help me pack and move and, but they were, it was like literally in the middle of summer, it was like 101 degrees and they were and they're in their sweating. Yeah. So I was like, y'all want like a drink of water or something like before you start Back down the street. <laughs> did they take it? Oh yeah. yeah they were yeah. like, oh thank you. <laughs> we do I think we do have a Mormon church here in town. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. No, we have a Bible visit in town. Yeah, I know. We've got everything around here. Yeah. It's very interesting. Anyways, so well, you know what we also have? A good solid confessional Lutheran congregation. Mm-hmm. That's what we got here too. Yeah. That's a good thing. All right, so uh, any other thoughts on who will rescue me from this body of death? If not, let's just keep on trucking here, all right? Mm-hmm. The struggle of the inner new man, that is Christ, against the fleshly old man, the sinful nature, is expressed well in chapter 7, verses 20 through, 22 through 23. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see... In another law, at, at work in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me out of this body of death. Paul spends much of this chapter describing this very depressing situation, but puts everything into perspective in uh, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot maintain our righteousness through obedience, but through faith in Christ, we continue to have the victory. Uh, so, I don't even know why they left a whole, a whole big space for this, but what are the members to which Paul refers in verse 23? Literally his, his body yeah. and all his senses. Yeah, his mm-hmm. body parts, right? Did anybody else have any, something different? Mm-hmm. I have to um, eyes... Okay. You just rubber neck looking at a good girl down the road. You've already committed adultery. And, um, and then the stomach, if you're hungry enough, mm, you go stealing mm, stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, those are those are a few parts of the body for sure. You get you get hung, hungry enough, and you do something drastic. You you get lustful enough. You get to do something drastic if you get greedy enough. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, you know, it's like they say. Uh, uh, they say. That um, the idle hands are what? Devil's workshop. See, I'll say the devil's workshop. I always heard like the devil's play thing, but I like the workshop thing better because mm-hmm. it's true. Um, so yeah, the parts of the body. And, and um, if there's anything I can add to this just a little bit, um, and if you want to know a little bit more about uh, waging war against the flesh, uh, read read Galatians. Um Ooh, it's Galatians. 
5. Um, Luther has a lot to say on this, and maybe we could do a Galatians study someday and see what Luther says on it. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, all these future Bible studies just getting bigger and bigger. Well, I'm just, I've got to get through like the one I'm in. Years no, it's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going to do James. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but he, but when he says, um, when he says, uh, now the works of the flesh are evident and the fruit of the spirit is, are, are, are these things. He says, but in verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. That when you see that Luther, Luther takes that, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's, it's a great illustration. When you, when you see that, when you see that in Galatians 5.24 and 25, that those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, first of all, it's tackled the problem of what we understand passion to be. When you hear the word passion, what do you usually, how do you hear that usually? What context is that in? Crime of passion. Okay, a crime of passion. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's that's, that's more what I'm getting at. But like a, a sexual content. Over emotional. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of more like we'll say like you know well do what makes you passionate. Yeah, you're right? passionate about like you were on a soapbox a while ago. Just you're huh? passionate about that. Right. So so people will say that like you know well do what makes you passionate whatever okay. whatever your passion is go do that. But the ancient way of understanding passion is like an uncontrollable urge desire that's not necessarily a good thing um like a craving almost yeah hunger hunger is a passion uh if if you if you go for long enough you'll be so hungry you'll do some things that are desperate to eat or thirst or the passion of the christ right well and and, extreme thing that's happening to you well yeah there's also the understanding the passion that christ suffered which is passion also is a suffering right because you suffer so bad. Uh, it makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. Yes. And, and, and in Christ's context, it's very different from our context, right? That Christ's suffering was not, was not on his own behalf, but on somebody else's behalf, right? Our suffering and passion is because of our own sinful flesh. We get hungry enough, thirsty enough, lustful enough, greedy enough, whatever. Uh, we we uh, fall into things if the passions are not restrained, right? So that's why he says, "Crucify the, you know those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires uh, to sin." Um, and when you see it that way, Paul talks a lot about in Galatians five. There is a war between the flesh and the spirit, but we shouldn't see it as the flesh being as strong as the spirit is. The flesh is no match for the spirit, right? The spirit triumphs over the flesh every day out of the week because those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. So the flesh, you know, the old man, he wants to go and do things. What are the agents of sin but feet, hands, right? You walk in the way of the sinners, right? I think it's Psalm 1 or Psalm 2. Uh, do not, 
do not sit in the seat of scoff. You know, do not walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, right? Uh, the, and then there's also in Proverbs where he's saying, you know, my son, if those who entice you to go shed shed someone's blood will lie in wait for them and get treasures beyond all measure, my son, do not walk with them, right? Those who are crucified with Christ. And <laughs> I asked this 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 morning. I was like. What happens in a crucifixion? And someone says, you die. And I was like, yeah, but before that, what happens? They nail your feet to a board. They nail your hands to a board to where, you know, the flesh is there now. So that within you, whenever you have this temptation to like go and do or get your hands involved in something you shouldn't, then then you simply just say, you say, I can't go do those things because my flesh is fastened to the cross. You know, my feet are fastened to the cross. I can't walk that way. You know, my hands are fastened to the cross. I can't go do the things you want me to do. It's just not possible for for me anymore, right? And in that way, the Spirit triumphs, reminding you what is what reality is for you now, okay? So then if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, as St. Paul says. So just something else to think about with the members of which Christ, of, of, of which Paul refers to, in chapter 7, verse 23, you know, how you can crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, it takes practice and time and patience. Um, but it is possible to hinder your bad habits and to replace them with good habits. I mean, one of the things I think that, I, you know, monastic life was not always good. Uh, in fact, I don't think it mostly is good. But the, the point that they're trying to get at was that the way that they would escape temptation was through prayer. I don't think that's wrong necessarily on its face because, I mean, we have, we have, util- we have things to utilize and, and CPH is doing all they can to give people the tools like Treasury or what's on your phone if you want to do the Pray Now app to where you can pray what was known as like the canonical hours of the day at least like every three hours or every so many hours, like in the morning, do a devotion and pray the morning prayer or whatever and read your scripture. And then, and then at noon, do another one. And then when you get home at night after dinner, do another one before you go to bed, say your prayers. By that time you've prayed four times in the day. And that, that, that within itself is a good habit that could replace and make you really think about, think twice about going and doing things you shouldn't do. Or think twice about not doing the things that you should do, right? It's just a it's a great thing to have is the life of prayer. So if I can help in any way with that, I'd like to do that. So any, any questions about that? Members and temptation and passions and all that stuff. Yeah. Growing up, I heard God's name used wrong, and uh, the conversation that I would hear as I was growing up was not edifying. And I asked God to guide me and take that, just remove it from us, from me. And every time I think about my thoughts would say, this is what you say. That's when I'd start, I'd pray for sure. And Satan didn't like that, so he left me alone. Yeah. Made a big Uh, difference. Yeah. Satan's no one to joke about necessarily. I mean, he's he's someone we should ridicule. Don't get me wrong, but he's not someone we should take lightly. 
But at the same time, it says in the book of James that when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And not because you're so great, but resist the devil in the name of Jesus Christ, and he will flee. Yeah, he'll give up and go to somebody weaker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sadly. Yeah, so pray for them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Absolutely. Um, okay, any other thoughts on that? Nope. Yes. You mentioned passion. I used to work with them. At a place where the Muslims would get at the high noon, put their mats out, you know, and bow down their whatever. And I'm thinking those guys got more passion than a lot of people that I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you wanna, if you wanna just like do the same thing, you can pull out your treasury and start like praying out loud or something. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's up to you. Uh, do the litany or something. You know, oh Lord, have mercy. Oh Christ, have mercy. Oh Lord, have mercy. You know that sort of stuff. God the Father in heaven, have mercy. God the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy. God the Holy Spirit, have mercy upon us. You know, that sort of stuff. I mean, it's whatever or whatever you want to do. Uh, maybe we should be more disciplined uh, because they're doing it to earn salvation. We're doing it out of thanks. So which one's better? Was well, that a proper to the wise man? Uh, a, wise, a wise man loves discipline. Uh -huh. But the fool... The fool despises it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And what's and then and then on top of that, I mean, discipline goes along with disciple. Right? To be a disciple means that you're disciplined. So and we could we could all have we all have room for improvement in whatever way we have. Uh, we have our own weaknesses to contend with and our own crosses to bear, but that doesn't mean that we can forego discipline in whatever way we want to. So yep. Ah, uh, great. Good I stuff. Yeah. Comment on that. You know, they they will pull their mats out and do that. To me, it, it's 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 kind of sad because they're first off they're not embarrassed for everybody to see them do that, and it's almost like some people are embarrassed to announce that they are Christians. Oh yeah. They don't want it. They don't want people to know that they're Christians. I mean, they, they, if somebody asks them, are you a Christian? Yes. But they won't whip out their Bible and start praying, at, you know, or in a restaurant, say a prayer or something. Yeah. But they'll, those people will. They'll do it. Well, not we everybody. Because Christians yeah. should be doing just as much as they should. Yeah, just as much passion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. For the right reasons. Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not to have everybody look at you. Yeah. yeah, no. But we should be proud that we're Christians and practice our faith in, in the public and, yeah. you know, I think we need more of that. Yeah, we should boast in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it takes time to, to get there. We've mm -hmm. been probably felt like we haven't had to say these things because we lived in a quote-unquote Christian society for so long. Really, if you really think about it, I don't know what that's really true. Um, but I mean, it's been a heavily Christian, Christian influenced society for sure in a lot of ways. But yeah, we're I think we're getting back to a time where we're gonna have to be more disciplined and um, we're gonna have to be more convicted in our faith for the sake of those who are looking for something like that. Uh, there are so there are still and it blows my mind how this still is a problem but it just is there's still a bunch of churches out there that are focused on material things 
marginal things, peripheral things, and they're not making the core issue faithfulness, God's word, prayer, divine service, the Lord's Supper, baptism, preaching, teaching, all these things. They're, 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 those, those things are now on the sidelines and everything else is taking center stage, whatever that may be, depending on the church. And uh, one thing that we have really going for us as confessional Lutherans is that we have pure doctrine. We have a solid liturgical heritage uh, and we have solid reasons and wise reasons of why it, it is the way that it is. And it hasn't changed very much at all in many ways. It's only changed my, minutely in maybe in musical notation and, and the way we say things. But everything we say is pretty much still the same. Uh, and, and to have that constancy and that clarity and to have that discipline. To stick with what's tried and true, to stick with what is comforting and reassuring, uh, I think there are going to be a lot of people craving that in the years to come. And the more we can be disciplined in that way, the better off we'll be to receive those people and welcome them into the fold and say, let me walk alongside you on this journey and, and show you how things work around here so that you'll, so that you'll feel more at home, right? Uh, I think that that's something that it takes time, it takes patience. Uh, bear with me, and I'll bear with y'all on these things, right? You know, I'm not perfect. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm trying to get better and better in my own devotional life and prayer, prayer habits and whatnot. And so, I need just as much encouragement from y'all as y'all need from me. Uh, but that's something to think about, right? Something to think about. Uh, people, I think, will be starving for this, and we have what they need. Not as some sort of like competitive marketing scheme or something like that, but we got the goods and we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Yeah. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. Uh, you know, someone saying like, well at, well, at my church, we have whatever. I don't say, say whatever. It's like, choir. we have a this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's cool. We could have a choir someday, but you know, what we got our church, we got the body and blood of Christ. We got, mm -hmm. we, you know, we got the word of God. We got baptism, man. That's, it's a good building block right there. It's where you start. Jesus in church yeah, we got Jesus there, man. <laughs> we don't need that other stuff. Yeah, it's like, be nice to have a choir. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Be nice to have a choir. Be nice to have mm -hmm. different things going on and, and, and us involved and all sorts of stuff like that. But, man. Uh, uh, that doesn't get me to heaven. <laughs> but, but we got to start with what's really important first and then build on from them. Build on from that. And to God, God will give the growth, right? All right, so let's move on here. Uh, we'll actually get done sooner than we usually do, um, which is still over time. Um, an excellent book for a detailed study of Romans 7 is Michael Middendorf, the, the quote-unquote eye in the storm, a study of Romans 7. Uh, Middendorf draws the following poignant conclusion about the argument of Romans 7. He says, in Romans 7, Paul decisively proves that his and our righteous standing before God cannot be either earned or maintained by obedience to the law's command. Thankfully, it is not a matter of works I do or I'm able to retain to refrain from doing. Rather, our righteousness must be and in fact has already been accomplished solely by God's action in Jesus Christ. 
Paul reveals this when he draws his conclusion regarding the law in the initial verses of chapter 8, where he writes, for what, is, for what was impossible for the law in that it was weakened through the flesh, God accomplished by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Faith in Jesus Christ alone establishes and maintains a righteous standing before God. So, any, any thoughts on that? Questions? Comments? It's pretty straightforward. If we only just keep it simple, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, with that, if there are no more comments or questions, we'll go ahead and close. Uh, words to remember. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Romans seven nineteen. For next time, uh, session 13, Life in the Spirit, uh, read all of chapter 8, verses 1 through 39, and uh, fill out the, uh, the pages uh, following. Um, it's a little long. It's a little long. Uh, but it's dealing with some good... What's that? Oh, it's a fantastic chapter. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a climax, for sure. Yeah, they get through all of it. Yeah, I know. So, we'll, yeah, we'll do our best. If we have to have a part one and a part two, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just roll with it, right? Uh, we're, not, we're not in any huge rush here. Um, but with that, um, yeah, so read chapter eight for next time, Romans eight, and then uh, study 13, and we'll get through it. Um, so with that, let's, let's go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.